What if you took your favorite movie characters, pulled them out of the movies, then laid them down on a psychologist's couch, and popped open their brain, and kind of poked around inside? Well, not exactly like that. What if we took a doctor of clinical psychology and a wise-ass, put them together, and made him watch a movie? Then, we had the psychologist figure out all the stuff going on in the character's head. You know, the stuff that makes him tick. What's going on inside the minds of our favorite movie characters? That's what we're here to figure out. So, grab some popcorn. Because this is Cinema Psych. All right, welcome to the show. This is Cinema Psych. My name is Jimmy McKay, alongside my friend and confidant, Dr. Jamie Hagenbach. Jamie, say hello to everybody. Hey, how you doing, everybody? All right, you ready to start the episode today uh, here, Jamie? I am. Let's rock and roll. Here we go. Our next patient is a fictional character and the main protagonist in the original Star Wars trilogy created by... George Lucas. The character portrayed by Mark Hamill is an important figure in the Rebel Alliance's struggle against the Galactic Empire and, spoiler alert, his father. Uh, he makes his first appearance a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away in the prequel film, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of a Sith, with appearances in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. He and his twin sister Leia were born to his mother, Senator Padme Amidala, and his father, Jedi Knight-turned-Sith Lord, Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker. Following his mother's death and his father's turn to the dark side of the Force, he's taken by Obi-Wan Kenobi to Tatooine, where he's adopted by his father's stepbrother, Owen Lars, and Beru Whiteson. He was ranked as the 14th greatest fictional character by Fandomania.com. On the couch today, Luke Skywalker. I mean, we're starting this uh, this podcast with Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. You can really yes. only go down from there. Pretty much picked the top of the mountain, I guess, in my mind. Yeah, for Star Wars fans, uh, you know, th- this is the dichotomy. This is the father and son, the ultimate battle. So uh, let's start off with, uh, you know, kind of the premise of the show. Dr. Uh, Jamie Hagenbaugh, clinical psychologist, professor of psychology, and uh, we take your favorite movie characters, lay them down on the couch. Today we're laying down Luke Skywalker. We start off with why. Why did we pick Luke Skywalker? Well, I think first and foremost, like when you think about Luke Skywalker, especially when you're talking about people our age, like he's kind of our guy. Like we grew up, everyone wanted to be him. Like everyone wanted to be out in the backyard and be Luke Skywalker and pretend to save the universe from the big bad. For me, I think it left such a great impression on me as a kid that I continued to watch him as I got older and I was looking forward to the new movies coming out. And then as I became a clinical psychologist, there's a lot of stuff in Star Wars. Like, there's a lot of stuff that it's built upon. I think George Lucas did an excellent job of, like, talking about something that's, like, the hero's quest. And that's basically what Luke Skywalker is. And he's a pretty interesting dude from a psychological standpoint. So I think that he made a lot of sense. Much like in the first episode, we talk about Darth Vader and the transformation from, like, a young kid to a very, very bad person and kind of back to an okay person at the end. Um, Luke Skywalker kind of has a similar journey, especially if you add the two new movies on. Makes him a lot of complex character. A lot of people, I think, didn't like The Last Jedi because they were like, it's not my Luke Skywalker. It's not the Luke Skywalker that I grew up with. There's things that you can see in the prequels that lead him to be that person. And, and you see that in real life, right? I mean, as a psychologist, people are a certain way and they grow and change throughout their lives. Because mm-hmm. of things that happen to them or just because they're getting older and, and they change. And that's what's happened to Luke, right? Yeah, it happens to Luke. And you can see it. It almost you see it as the character progresses, like you see little bits of it. And then there's like this huge crescendo at the end. And for me, as I was sitting watching The Last Jedi, I'm like, oh, it makes sense. 
Like, it makes sense why he's on an island by himself and doesn't want contact with anybody else. Drinking weird and, milk from some some strange creature. Let's just, we can skip past that part, right? Yeah, I mean, that was the, <laughs> Luke does a lot of strange things from, like, making out with his sister, which I think we'll probably talk about at some point in time. So, like, doing that. <laughs> and in that moment, it was as he was looking at Ray, it's kind of like, you know, he's just got those eyes like, what are you going to do about it sort of thing? <laughs> like, we, call, we call them crazy eyes where I'm from. I'm sure that's not a critical <laughs> term. I call them crazy eyes. That's for you to determine, my friend. All right. So when you watch Luke over the course of all the movies, he was in five movies, six if, six if you want to get real technical, what from a psychologist standpoint stands out to you? You can't watch movies like I can because you've got this psychologist lens that mm-hmm. you're looking through. So what stands out with Luke Skywalker to you? Four things that really stood out for me. My initial thoughts on him is just like a human, if you were just to show up in my office, what I would think of him. Kind of this sense of belonging and how we all need it and he didn't have it for a very long time and how he struggled with that. Because he doesn't have that sense of belonging, like the attachments in his life, whether it be with people he may or we may consider his friends or his attachment to a father figure. And then how his relationship with his father changes from he's the worst person in the world to the person that I have to save. And then the final thing that really came up for me was the idea of shame and how shame impacts him so much as a character because we see the high highs in the first one, A New Hope. We see the high highs. We also see in the last one, the low lows. And I think that's shame essentially taking over for him and dictating his behavior, which happens for a lot of us because shame is so powerful for so many people. All right. So let's uh, let's start with the initial thoughts, his behaviors. If Luke showed up to your clinic in real life, where would you start kind of unwrapping this onion? I realize that... <laughs> We're talking about movies, okay? So we're talking about things where we have to kind of suspend our disbelief. But if Luke were to show up in my office and he were to present the way he does in the movies, I would think he's on the beginning of like a psychotic break. Like he's moving towards being schizophrenic. And why I believe that is that he's having both auditory and visual hallucinations. Essentially, an auditory hallucination is... You hear something that's not there. I'm sure you've had the experience, like you swear you hear your name, you turn around and nobody's there. So he's having auditory hallucinations of like people telling him where to go. And those are the worst kind. They're called command hallucinations. All right. They're saying, hey, you go see this guy, Yoda, on a different planet. And he's like, okay, I'll go do that. You're told to do something and then you do it, essentially. Okay. On the hallucination spectrum, like as I said before, you and I both experience them. We hear our name, turn around, nobody's there, right? That's fine. If you're having a hallucination where someone tells you to do something and then you do it, we're moving down the continuum of like this is troublesome behavior. But he's also having visual hallucinations, like he's seeing things that aren't there. You know, he's seen ghosts or whatnot. He's seen premonitions of people that have died in the past. Once again, we've all had that thing where we thought we saw something. And there wasn't anything there. But when we start to believe that this is happening, possibly moving towards that psychotic break area. And the other thing is it does experience what we like to think of as delusional thinking. So a delusional thought is essentially the belief that something is accurate, even against evidence that there, it actually is accurate. So I can have a belief that, that Steve Balboni should be in the Hall of Fame. And that's my belief. That's a delusional belief because Steve Balboni does not belong in the Baseball Hall of Fame. But it's a belief that we hold tight. And he has a lot of delusional beliefs, like he can save the world, right? He's the one that can save us from everything that's going wrong. He can move things with his mind, right? He can just hold out his hand and raise things. If that was a person that came into my office, I would think that person is struggling a great amount. So that was like the first impression that I had. 
is that if he sat down in front of me, I would have a very – he wouldn't have been my childhood hero growing up as a kid. Right? But, he would have been some – but part of yeah. movies is you had to, as as you alluded to when you began saying this, you have to you have a little bit of a suspended belief and say, okay, some of this is actually happening. Otherwise, movies kind of can, you know, sci-fi movies, we'd have no premise at all. <laughs> exactly, and it'd ruin it for all of us. Like no one actually looks and beams like, wow, he's really having some strange auditory hallucinations. Is like, wow, like you can talk to people that aren't there anymore. That is so amazing. Well, we know that you're doing it, but no one yes. else is actually doing it. All right. Exactly. So what's up next on the uh, list of, of things going on with Luke? The second thing I really wanted to focus on is a sense of belonging. And a sense of belonging is something that we as humans need, right? It's something that we strive for. Like you and I have a have a belonging to something, whether it's our family, whether it's our friends. Maybe it could be a belonging to like your profession. Like I belong to the profession of psychology. That's what I do. We all need that sense of belonging. To, to know where we are and where we fit in the world and society. It, exactly. Exactly. And if you really want to see a good example of this, go to like any orientation of first year students. So if we're going to like college for the first time or grad school, which you and I have both been through. On the first day, like the first orientation, you will see people looking around trying to find their people, right? Because they need to find someone to help them manage getting through college, grad school, whatever it may be. So any sort of first-time scenario, maybe it's a new orientation for work where there's a lot of people, you will just see people try and pack up because you, we want to belong. You can visually see the awkward on the first couple of yes. days. You don't know what to do exactly. with your hands, so there's no sense of belonging there is what you're saying. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to find. Like We're trying to look around and be like, you're my people. I don't know what it is about you. Maybe I find you funny. Maybe we're the same height. Maybe you have a cool T-shirt, but you are my person. All right, so we're not stranded out alone by ourselves having to go through anything. Because with a sense of belonging, it helps build who we are as people. Like it helps build our self-esteem. It helps build our self-worth. So we know with Luke, he's being raised by a family member, but it's not his mother. It's not his actual father. He's not given a lot of information of who his dad is, right? He doesn't really, or, or yeah. his mom for that matter. He just knows he doesn't belong. So you're saying he's lacking that sense of belonging. Yeah, he really lacks that great sense of belonging because he doesn't have a family unit that he belongs to. He has the adopted parents, but I don't think he gets a sense like they're like me or I'm like them. He definitely doesn't belong to the idea of being like a farmer. It's just not him. So he has no identity. You can tell that he wants to be a part of something, and I think and that's what happens in The New Hope is he wants to be part of the Alliance. He's always talking about going off to the Academy and doing something like that. Okay. He's really striving to find something. So he's doing and two then, things. Number one, he's, try, he's trying to find that sense of belonging, and he wants something bigger. He wants to feel like he met. Well, they, they, they farm moisture, don't they? That's a bit yeah, weird. they're moisture evaporators. I don't that's, even know. What is that? I don't, know. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I guess it's helpful. I'm sure it is on a planet. That has a lot of sand on it. So he's looking for that sense of belonging, and he finds it yeah. with uh, with the rebellion. I think I think he believes he finds it with the rebellion. I think that's what he thinks is going to be the thing that he belongs to. But as you look over the course of the movies, like he never really fully makes a connection to anything. Right? People can say like he had a good relationship with Han Solo and Princess Leia and Chewbacca and things like that, but he leaves them. He leaves them behind. He leaves the rebellion behind. I never think that Luke found that sense of belonging to anything. Maybe at the end of The Last Jedi, uh, when he saves them, that might be his parting shot of, I do belong to this, and it's worth my time and worth my effort. But as I look through the movies, like I don't think he feels like he's a part of anything at any point in time, which leads into his 
attachments, the different attachments that he has in his life. If you think about it, Luke's never really attached to anything. And I don't know if that's what makes him a good Jedi, because Jedis aren't supposed to have attachments. But think about it, all right? So from what we know or from what we can surmise, like as a child, probably never talked about his father, may have talked about his mother. I don't know if she passed away. Once he again, was, but he was taking a tattooing to hide his existence, right? So exactly the stuff he was being told probably wasn't 100% accurate, or if it was, it was real fuzzy and gray. Yeah, yeah, it's probably like the vague, like oh, don't worry about it, sort of thing. You know, like your your dad passed away on a space freighter. And then if we go and suspend disbelief, he's got these kind of supernatural abilities. He can probably tell something's up if we're going to go along the lines of thinking with the Jedi. He knows something isn't right, so that just makes his sense yeah. of belonging and his lack of attachments even worse. I imagine he felt like he was meant for something greater. He just doesn't know what that is. I mean, we all have that idea of, like, I'm meant to do this, and sometimes we have no idea what this is. I mean, for for me as a child, it was third baseman for the New York Yankee. I was destined to be third baseman, and then I realized, like, I can't hit a curveball. So that kind of died. I aimed low. I wanted to be a podcast host, even as a young lad. <laughs> and here I am. Well, you crushed it, and you didn't even know the podcast existed way back then, so you were way ahead of your time. All right, so we get back to his attachments, lacking from the big ones, right? His, uh, his parents. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily know that he has a sister. Even when he's making out with her, or I guess more accurately, she's kissing him, and even that's yeah. a little creepy. Although he did put his hands behind his back and it looked like he enjoyed it. Now, on a side note, so we'll divert a little bit. Like, is it really his fault? Like, no. if you didn't know, yeah, it's not. I blame George Lucas on this one. Because at some point, as he was writing the script, like, he knew he was going to make her a sister. That's on him. Yeah, that really is on him. I can't really lay that one on Luke. Yeah. Like, I feel a little bit bad he takes the rep for, like, being a sister kisser at times, but it's like, he didn't know. Like, that could have happened to any one of us. So it looks like at one point him and Han are going to be kind of best friends, but both of those guys are, are pretty much loners, although Han's a loner with a Wookiee who's always by yeah. his side, which is, you can't be a loner when you're always with someone. Exactly. I mean, Han has its own path, and I'm sure with the new movie that came out, like, we can definitely do one on him, because I'm sure that there's enough to enough to talk about there. Even in, even in the movies that we've watched over the course of years, there's enough to talk about Han, and I think that first movie kind of fills in some blanks. So then who else do you have in Luke's life? you got Yoda, who is a, a lot like a teacher, not like a father or a grandfather, but I, get, I don't know, I felt more like a teacher relationship. Yeah, it's more like a mentor relationship, much like him and Obi-Wan. When I think of Luke, especially in the first movie, A New Hope, he, he seems to me like a seven- or eight-year-old kid. Like, he just seems like he's a little kid on the playground. He kind of whines, like there's that famous line of wanting to go to the Tashi station and pick up some power converter. Like, that's something a little kid would say. That's not something an 18-year-old would say, essentially. So even his interactions with people are very childlike. And I think that's because, like, he has no real connections to anything. I mean, if you're out on a farm, like, you might not have much interaction with anyone outside of, like, the droids and things like that. So then when he starts to meet, like, Obi-Wan, it's an instant father connection. Like, he feels that, right? So when he loses that connection, it hurts. Han is really kind of bristly around him, if you think about it, until like the end of A New Hope. It's kind of like big brother, you know, little brother trying to keep up with big brother. Like, you are not cool enough to hang out with my friends. So that's pretty much all the attachments that that Luke has, if you really even want to call them attachments. Yeah, even as we move to... Like Ray, like he really tries and keep that girl at a distance. And I think that's mostly because of what happened in his relationship with Kylo Ren. Like I really feel like he 
screwed that relationship up, to use a clinical term. So I think that he may see something in her, and he's like, I am not good enough. I'm going to hurt this girl, so there's no point in me getting closer. But the main attachment that you look at is the attachment with the father, which is always a big one, all right? So as we begin to think about Luke and Darth Vader, essentially, like Luke starts out having to destroy him. I imagine he has some sort of feelings about that. You know, he wants to take out this thing, and he wants to be able to save the world. And as we move through to Empire, when he finds out he is his father, that changes because the first time in his life he has something, a father figure outside of Obi-Wan, that he can connect to, something that he believes that he can do, he can make this person different. I think that's really confusing for him, especially because of all the things that happened. You know, there's a, when you look at this movie, there's a lot of Oedipal complex. So uh, Freud, Sigmund Freud, created what's called the Oedipus complex. It's essentially the belief that, you know, the son wants to kill the father so he can be with the mother. And But the son doesn't end up killing the father because he's afraid that the father is going to castrate him, you know. So then he kind of aligns with the father. And as you look throughout Star Wars, there's a lot of, there's a lot of castration. Like he, <laughs> he attempts to defeat his father in the Oedipus complex, and the father actually cuts off his arm. So he loses an appendage, literally. <laughs> literally loses an appendage, like Freud played out for us, even though that's been disproven over the years. The minute that he tries to stand up to his father, his father is like, nope, get back in your place, essentially. Right. But from that other castration, obviously he does defeat his father, and he castrates his own father. So I'm not sure if that was the way it was written to have all that, but it's, it very much walked the lines of you know, the Oedipus complex, which I found to be fascinating. But anyway... As he decides to, he wants to have this connection with his father. He's going to make every attempt to do it, and he actually does it, and he has a good connection. So as we move into the movies five and six, he becomes disconnected again. And the question is essentially, like, at the end of five, it's like, where is he gone? Why is he left? And I think it's because he believed that he could develop relationships with people. He realized he couldn't, and he said, well, everything I've ever touched has fallen apart. I tried to reach out. I tried to save my father. I did kind of save him, but it was at his end. So, like, did I really save him? Then it's on me to build up this whole new Rebel Alliance, this whole new Jedi Order. That turns, that falls apart. And we move into the last part, or the last thing that I saw, essentially, was shame. I think shame plays a huge role for Luke as a character. What is the actual definition of shame? I, I mean, I know I think shame is, and I, I think the audience might have their own definition of shame. What is shame? I think shame and guilt mixed up a lot. Guilt is essentially, it comes from breaking a rule, feeling guilty about something. And to feel guilty about something, you have to have a conscience. Uh, it's called a superego. If you feel guilty, you may motivate yourself to confess or you believe you need punishment. So guilt is basically, I did something bad. Shame is something much deeper, right? Shame is the idea of maybe I am bad. And shame is a very inborn thing. Like we are all born with feelings of shame. If you look at the word shame, it basically means like cover up, conceal, to hide. And if we think about shame, it's on two ends of a spectrum, okay? So if we think about it, one end would be like embarrassment. We've all felt that little bit of shame when we're embarrassed about something. Like someone comes up to you. I'm sure you've had this in your career over time. And someone comes up and talks to you and like, hey, Jimmy, great to see you. Da, 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 da. You have no idea who that person is, but they know your life story and you feel really bad about that. At that moment, you just want someone else to come and take you out of that situation. Save me. Save me. Get me out of here. That is embarrassment. And that is the most, we'll say, on the lighter end of shame. 
And on the other end of shame would be humiliation. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being in a public forum and you just want like the earth to swallow you up so you can get out of whatever it is that you've done. I don't know if you had that experience. You know, I, I know I've had it because I can experience it in my stomach, but uh, you know, speaking <laughs> of an example, uh, I'm not sure I want to bring it up, if I, even if I could. But no, I'm getting what you're saying. I was, saying. I was hoping to pull it out of you, but you know, I understand. But you're saying both of those <laughs> things are on the shame spectrum. Spectrum. All right. So one would be like, just, this is mild discomforter, get I feel bad, like I don't know this person's name, even though they remember my life story. And one is you severely screw up and you're just humiliated. And I think for Luke, he feels anywhere on the continuum of, of shame throughout it. Why? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out as you're, as you're discussing shame. I'm trying to figure out, you know, where does that come from him or where does that come? You say we're all born with it. Why is that? To answer your second question, the idea of it's like an innate thing. Like we all have innate things in us. Like we all have sadness in us we all have uh, feelings of joy anger you know uh what's the movie uh, inside out <laughs> you know fear like those are all innate parts of who we are shame is just one of them you can see it in a child like if they get scolded as a little kid like they try and run and hide like they don't know what guilt is they don't know that they did something bad or they did something worth getting yelled at they just know they feel really bad and they want to escape so for luke he comes from nothing. He believes he's nothing. He's on this, the middle of this planet where there's nothing around him. He goes and he saves the world. So his sense of self cannot be any bigger. He saved the world from utter destruction, essentially, or at least the Rebel Alliance. We don't know about the world. So he's up on top of the pedestal. And then he's told, like, you're the one. Like, you're the guy. You're the one who's going to bring the Jedi Order back. You're the one who's going to save the world. So that's the end of the first movie. He can't be high, any higher at all. There's only way, the only way to go is down from there. Exactly. And you can see it when he goes to Dagobah for the first time and meets with Yoda. And his goal is to make the X-Wing rise out of the mud, right? And he can't do it. He can't do it. And you see it's a, it's a quick two-second sort of thing. But after he fails, he goes off into the woods. He puts his head between his legs, and he tries to get as small as he possibly can. That's the shame. That's him trying to conceal. He failed. He's not going to be the greatest. He failed in front of the greatest Jedi of all time. He does not want to be there anymore. And I think that that sense of shame is because he was so high. He had such high self-esteem. Maybe he was feeling a little too good about himself, maybe a little bit narcissistic, but we'll, we'll give it to him. And then when he fails, he falls off that cliff, and he just can't disappear, and I don't think that he can deal with it. As we can see, as we progress to the last two movies, I think shame is the motivator that puts him on the island. Right? Once again, expectations are high. He just destroyed the Empire again. Over the course of the next couple of years, he has to raise up the new Jedi Order. And in raising this new Jedi Order, he has to raise his sister and his friend's son to be a Jedi. And he fails. He fails. He doesn't get him. He turns him to the dark side. I think that that created so much shame almost to the point of where if we're on the spectrum, we're moving towards humiliation. And he literally he just just fails and leaves society and literally yeah. go lives on a rock in the middle of an ocean planet. Exactly, exactly. He, he, instead of the world actually swallowing him up, he just disappeared, so he cannot be found. And that's how most people deal with intense feelings of shame. They withdraw. They try and get away. And that's what he did. So when Ray goes to, like, connect with him again, he's like, I'm not doing this again. The feeling of shame, as I've said, I've had that, that feeling of embarrassment, maybe a little bit more. I've never felt humiliated. 
I don't know what that's like, and I don't imagine it's something that I want to feel. But I imagine if you feel it once, and for most people, I think one of the things that humans experience is like if I feel something bad once, I'm going to make sure that I do something so I never feel that again. He failed. He failed raising the next Jedi Order. He turned basically. He basically he created. He took one Sith Lord away, and then he gave another Sith Lord moving forward. So he's like, well, I'm going to go away. This is never going to happen again. So when someone who has the talent, has the power, has the metachlorine count or whatever it is, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to fail again. I don't want to feel that humiliation, shame, whatever it is that he experienced. And I think that's why he keeps Ray at such a distance because he's like, I don't, I don't want to help her. I don't want, I don't want to fail again. I don't want to feel shame. And obviously he brings it back in the end and he becomes a hero again. But if you look at, Luke over the course of time, like it makes sense that he ends up on the island by himself. I don't think a lot of people are like, well, why didn't he go back and show up himself and kind of take the world all over? I mean, first and foremost, it wasn't written for him to do, but from a psychological standpoint, it really makes sense that he wouldn't show up. And you said, I mean, you mentioned this at the top of explaining the character is uh, he acts a little immature for his age. And maybe he didn't have that that structure when he was growing up in his upbringing. He he acts immature when he fails with Yoda. He curls into a ball. It's not something a normal adult does when they fail something, even if it's big. Yeah. You know, even if there's a lot of expectations on us, like we as humans are meant to fail. Like we are not perfect as human beings. And when we fail, if we take it as something that's going to crush us, something that's going to end us, like that's what happens. But yeah. if we look at failure as a challenge, like, all right, what can I learn from this and what can I take from this moving forward? It's a lot more effective. And I think for him, you're right. He has an immature way of dealing with things. If I can't be the best at it, I'm going to go away. And not in like a cowardly sense. It's more like I'm going to save the world from, from my ability to annihilate it because I right. have that power. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to take failure out of the equation. I'm going to take me out of the equation completely. Exactly. Cause I can, I know what my power can do for positive and I've seen in my father and others what it can do for negative and I don't want to be the destructor. I'm just better off. It's better for the human race, the <laughs> universe. If I, sure, yeah. If I just disappear and that's what he does. Okay. And I think that's because one, he knows his power and one that shame is his motivator for how he acts. Now, there were a lot of great science fiction movies uh, coming out around the same time. I just wanted to say I think Star Wars has stuck around, and obviously it's still got staying power. Uh, there's going to be more and more movies to come, but it had to be the characters, right? I mean, it's got to be the characters because now the effects were great, uh, the story yeah. was good, but if there aren't char- characters and people to care about, the story doesn't go anywhere and the effects don't matter. Yeah, there was a there was a book written years ago. It's called A Hero of a Thousand Faces, uh, written by Joseph Campbell. And essentially, it's the idea that all like the myths and legends that are created throughout different cultures all have basically the same archetypes throughout. And his archetype is the hero archetype. Like there's the idea of like you have to go on a quest and you have to come up against you need something who's going to help you, who's going to be the you know the Obi-Wan character, or the Yoda character who's going to help you through. You're going to have to. F- experience of failure and then you're gonna have to triumph and i think that's why it's because it fits that formula so nicely and you can see like i want to be that (laughs) i want to be the person that's picked up and dragged and gets to be a hero right and gets to be loved and admired and i think that's what gives it staying power now i didn't ask you this at the beginning of the show on purpose i'm going to ask you now who is your favorite character from the star wars franchise oh man that's a good one it's got to be han solo it's got to be like I love I love Luke Skywalker. 
and I love what he stood for, but there was just something about that, that grizzled old guy that Listen, was just enjoyable. Hans the Fonz of Star Wars. <laughs> he, so, he is yes, the Fonz of Star Wars. You know, Opie's really cool, or, you know, uh, Ron <laughs> Howard's character is really cool, but it's not the Fonz. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Han Solo's got a little bit of an edge to him, and, and, I, and I know we're going to get to him on this show as well. He's, he's got yeah, a lot we'll of layers. Down the line. But, yeah, you always have to root for, for Luke Skywalker. I don't know. I think you might have something a little psychologically wrong with you if you're not rooting for <laughs> Luke Skywalker. So Exactly. Uh, I mean, no one, no one roots for Darth Vader. No one's like, let's see the bad stuff. Although, cool watch I yeah. did say after the first episode that we recorded, by the end, you kind of feel bad for Anakin Skywalker, and you kind of understand why he did the things he did. Yeah, like, when you look at the prequels, you feel bad for what that person came into. You feel bad for who he came into. Right. All right, so uh, we're going to wrap it up. We'll do a wrap-up on Cinema Psych. Final thoughts for Luke Skywalker. So one of the things that I uh, took away, and it was basically one line, and it's used twice in uh, two different movies, but essentially... Yoda is talking to Luke, and he's talking to the, speaking him to the idea of Luke's mind is always in the future, right? And he has to be, bring himself more to the present. Yoda talks about like looking away to the future, not focusing, being mindful of the present. And I think that's very important for all of us. I think a lot of us have a tendency to live in the future and sometimes in the past, and we really neglect our present, which is the only thing that we can truly do anything about. When we look to the past, usually it could be, I mean, there can be some happiness. You and I have had some good times that make me smile, but it could be regrets that we've had or losses that we've had. And we look to the future, and I don't know why as human beings we do this, but when we look to the future, we never think to ourselves, like, I'm going to win the lottery tomorrow. We always focus on something in the future that's either going to make us anxious, something that we're not going to reach or we're not going to do, or something that might make us depressed. So I think that the more that people can stay in the present and focus on the present and what I can do now, because the present is the only thing that you can do anything about. Like, you can set yourself up to do things in the future. Like, you and I have, you know, been through school, had advanced degrees, so we had to think, be mindful of, like, well, I have a test in a couple of weeks. What do I need to do to get to that test so that I'm prepared for that test? We have to take care of business in the present. And that's being able to not be overwhelmed by what's happening in the future and being like, okay, how do I start to chip away at this big task in the present? That is one thing that gets in Luke's way is that he is very mindful of the future and what happens in the future. And if we look to The Last Jedi, it's how he's going to fail. And so that makes him not want to move. That makes him not want to do anything. Where the future is very unknown. That's why it's called the future. Possibility of the future kind of paralyzes all of his present, and he takes himself out of. That's another reason he takes himself out of society. Exactly, exactly. Because he doesn't. Because he believes the future is going to be bad. I have the power to destroy. It's crippling his present, so he's just going to go away. Looking deep inside uh, Luke Skywalker, I, I think I see him differently now. You know, he's not just this guy who walks around. You know, with a lightsaber and he comes in to save the day, there are reasons he acts the way that he does, and that's the reason for this show. So thanks for taking a listen to Cinema Psych, Inside the Mind of Luke Skywalker. Thanks for listening. This is the part of the show where we give you the credits. Super fun part. This show is produced by PT Pinecast LLC with your hosts, Dr. Jamie Hagenbaugh and Jimmy McKay. Nothing that you heard here should be taken as professional advice. If you're having a mental health issue, seek help from a qualified professional. Our lawyers made us say that.